Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. My name is Kara O'Halloran, and today we are continuing with our Q2 Outlook content with an episode focused on commercial real estate. So I'm excited to have Andrew Pores, another director on the team here to discuss all things CRE. Andrew, welcome. Thanks for joining. Yeah, happy to be here. So commercial real estate, like a lot of other asset classes, started 2022 um, in, in a pretty strong position, right? Really good fundamentals, tailwinds from this strong expected economic growth. The market had just come off of you know, a year of exceptional property price growth, record sale volumes. There were definitely headwinds in the form of inflation and the Fed's tightening cycle. You know, Some of the things that we've talked about at a macro level and, and the things that apply to other asset classes um, but I think what would be helpful is if you just kind of catch us up. What happened in the first quarter? You know, where does CRE sit now? Sure. Yeah. I I think you know when we think at the broadest level, um, what public markets are focused on right now is, of course, as you said, inflation. It's the war in Ukraine. It's um, rising COVID cases in Asia, and you know there's a lot of mixed sentiment about the forward sort of uh, outlook for the economy. But right now, um, sort of sitting here on what is it, April twelfth. Um, the U.S. economy is really strong right now. Um, and as we know, uh, the commercial real estate market is an economically sensitive one, generally speaking. Um, and, you know, rent growth and fundamentals in commercial real estate are really strong. Um, you know, the past few quarters, we've talked about inflation a lot. We've talked about um, sort of the inflation hedging nature of real estate um, in previous episodes. And over the past few quarters, we've really seen that um, come to fruition. You know, if we just kind of tick down uh, the different sectors uh, in multifamily, you're seeing, in, you know, an incredible, um, you know, spike in demand. Vacancy rates are below 6%, which is um, as low as we've been in in, in multiple decades. Uh, you know, we see from sources like Zillow that rents for new apartments are up 17% year on year. Um, you look at industrial where, you know, the growth in e-commerce and in uh, the goods trade is, is is driving rent growth above eight percent. There, um, you know, in retail um, and hotel, it's a little more of a cyclical story. Sort of the 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 rebound from COVID is driving some strong rent growth there, but it, it's not as much of a secular story as it is sort of in uh, apartment and industrial. And then in office, of course, it's it's highly dependent on on the region um, and on the specific asset that we're talking about. But you know, at, at the highest level. Again, I think the U.S. economy, the the U.S. consumer is in a really good place right now, um, and as a result, um, commercial real estate fundamentals are are are, are really strong. Great. So, I want to dive into you know one of the the almost headwinds that we did talk about, um, and that is cap rates. So, obviously, cap rates are a very important part of you know any CRE discussion, but I think it's something that we're going to be talking about a lot this year, um, and we'll get to why that is and dive more into that, but. First, I think it'd be helpful if you just walk us through the history between cap rates and interest rates and kind of why why we're going to be talking about cap rates so much and why they're such an important part of the the conversation this year. Sure. So, you know, cap rates, um, just to sort of define them up top, um, cap rates are sort of the yield um, that a property owner gets on a property. So it's simply the, um, the net operating income, so the rental income um, net of expenses um, divided by the value of the property, right? So it's essentially, if I'm going to buy a property, what can I expect every year that property to yield in in rental income? And historically, um, you know, there's been a bit of a mixed relationship between interest rates, um, you know, thinking of, of, of treasury yields here, uh, and cap rates. It's, it's complicated. It's certainly not linear. 
And um, I, I think from the broadest macro perspective, both have been driven down over the decades by the same things that we've talked about over and over again. It's aging demographics. It's um, the savings glut. Um, it's declining productivity and GDP growth. All of these have, draw, have, have, have driven um, you know, interest rates down and have also kind of driven cap rates down on a secular basis. On a shorter term scale, it's a lot more muddy. Um, and the way that we prefer to look at it is that as an inflation hedge, um, commercial real estate cap rates tend to react a lot more to changes in real interest rates. So for example, if, if, if you sort of see inflation expectations pushing um, nominal interest rates up, that's not necessarily going to push up cap rates um, because you know, as we're seeing right now, higher inflation tends to be compensated for by higher rent growth. Um, but when we see real interest rates go up, which we tend to see um, sort of in periods when, for example, the Fed is hiking their policy rate, um, that has tended to flow through to cap rates at a, not one-to-one clip, certainly, but certainly at a um, at a more statistically significant clip. So, that's sort of um, how I prefer to look at at, the, at that relationship. That's helpful. And I think, you know, one thing to just reiterate is that we had these, like we had bond yields declining for the better part of 40 years. And that was really just this epic bond or bull market in the bond, bull, bond bull market. Goodness, <laughs> let's say that five times fast. Um, it, we had that in cap rates as well, that that decline in cap rates yep. has really contributed to this price growth that we've seen. Um, okay, so let's talk about, you brought up the Fed's hiking cycle. And so we're sitting here, it's April 12th. The Fed has hiked once. Um, we expect you know many more hikes. I think everyone's consensus is for a 50 basis point hike next meeting. Um, so I, I thought I was reading your outlook and I thought it was so, super interesting. Some of the points that you made um, talking about the last two Fed rate hike cycles, right? I think we're all trying to navigate you know what what's going to be the same this cycle and what's going to be different. So Let's talk about the last two. So the cycle that started in 2004, the Fed hiked, I think, 17 consecutive meetings. um, And we saw mortgage rates rise alongside the Fed hiking, but cap rates declined. And the next cycle, uh, which started in 2016, we saw mortgage rates rise, but we saw cap rates stay the same. So I'm curious what drove the differences in your opinion between those two cycles using history as a guide. Do we think, do you think that this cycle will look more like one of those or the other or, or like something completely different? So a multi-part question there, but yeah, no, I, I, I think this is the crucial question for the market right now um, is what's going to happen to cap rates. And I think if you look back into the mid two thousands uh, fed hike cycle, which you Set up the Fed hike seventeen straight cycle, seventeen straight meetings at uh, twenty five basis points per meeting. Um, you know we saw mortgage rates rise, as you say. So the cost of financing a property went up, um, but cap rates, which again is the property yield on on property, um, declined. So th- th- this relationship that we talk about between interest rates and cap rates um, certainly did not hold up in that period. And I think when you dig down into the you know sort of the nitty gritty of what were the different market participants doing during this um, episode, what you start to see is that lenders were willing to loosen their underrating standards to allow cap rates to come lower. So if I'm a 
uh, a, a, a safe fund looking to buy, um, buy a commercial real estate property, right? And I'm in a competitive market and, you know, I need to keep bidding uh, these property prices higher in order to win a deal, right? So a lender needs to be willing to lend to me at this level, right? And as the rate on my mortgage goes up, my cost of servicing that debt goes up, which um, all else equal is going to lower the uh, the return to the to, to the property owner, right? So what can I do, right? I can um, accept a lower return, which no property owner wants to do. Um, because they have target return rates that they want, or um, I can ask my lender to say, "Hey, I know you were going to lend to me, you know, seventy-five dollars to my twenty-five dollars of equity. Are you willing to give me eighty bucks in debt? Are you willing to give me eighty-five dollars in debt?" Right. So basically, these lenders were willing to put up more debt on a deal to sort of make the economics work for the property acquirer, right? And what you saw was, as mortgage rates came up, the market stayed competitive. And really where this sort of um, release valve was, if, if you will, was in uh, debt service coverage ratios, right? So when these property owners bought these properties, um, they put on more debt, mortgage rates were up, and their ability to service that debt declined, of course. So, um, you know, you saw valuations continue to go up, even as mortgage rates went up. And, you know, uh, we all know what happened, we all know what happened. Yeah, yeah. in, in, in 07, yeah. 08, right? And... Fast forward to the next cycle, the, the 2010s, where you know the Fed started hiking in earnest in late 2016. It was a completely different um, backdrop, right? Mortgage rates went up almost the same exact amount they went up um, in in the 2000s, um, but cap rates were completely flat. They went from 6.5 percent in Q4 of 16 to 6.5 percent in Q4 of 18, right? And the difference is that lenders were not willing to lower their underwriting standards to finance these properties at higher and higher valuations. We learned our lesson a little bit. Yep. And again, the the sort of canary in a coal mine here is the debt service coverage ratio. Um, it went up over this period. Property owners' ability to service that debt went up. And you know, to me, it all comes down to what are lenders sort of willing to put up with and not put up with. Yeah. So where are we at now in this cycle? So my view is that the global financial crisis sort of changed the lending market on, on, on a durable basis. I hope so. Um, yeah. We all hope uh, so. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, it, sort of if you look at right now, um, the leverage levels that, that lenders are, are, are lending at, if you look at debt service coverage ratios, they are incredibly strong, um, much different than they were in the lead up to the global financial crisis. And we're not- been, have we had rock bottom rates, so. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we'll see, like, you know, as mortgage rates come up, um, you know, it's going to test these lenders. It's going to test the market. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to see, um, whether the, you know, this new sort of, um, this new sort of environment is, is going to change it all. But, but my expectation is that the regulatory reforms that have been put in place on lenders, um, as well as just the scarring from the 07, 08, 09 period. Um, I don't think we're going to see anything like that. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Which, which so, to, to put a bow on that, yeah. um, that means that, that property acquirers may need to accept that cap rates may not fall significantly from here, right? Because mm-hmm. lenders are going to say, oh no, I'm not allowing my, my, my standards to be lowered. You're going to need to accept um, lower, home, lower property price appreciation yep. to, to compensate for those higher mortgage rates. 
Okay. So that brings up another question. And so it's, it's, I almost think about it similarly to equity markets where, you know, we've seen multiple contraction already and really expect earnings to be driving the majority of, you know, of equity markets going forward um, in this Fed hiking cycle. I know you've done a lot of great work on that. Um, so it's, it seems similar here, right? If we don't expect cap rate, you know, cap rate compression to be driving returns, we're going to be more income focused, right? Yep. The, it's just the the math of that equation. Yep. Um, and so then I, I have to believe that there's, you know, maybe heightened dispersion and sectors that you're looking at more closely. Um, so, you know, what are you looking at on a sector basis or, or, you know, more dispersion, less dispersion, what, what's going on there? Yeah, no, I, that's, that's a perfect setup because as you say, there's really only two sources of return in, in um, owning a property. It's the rental income and it's the price appreciation, which comes from partially from, um, you know, cap rate movements. Uh, so in, in terms of dispersion, it's been massive since the onset of COVID. But really the dispersion has been between good sectors and good metro areas versus incredible sectors and incredible metro areas, right? I think as this cycle continues on and as interest rates continue to rise and as the Fed continues to hike, we're going to go more towards a backdrop where you have really good to great sectors, really good to great, you know, metro areas and regions to some not so great areas and some not so great properties and, and, and sectors. Um, so I, I think that's an important distinction in terms of like dispersion is already super wide. It's probably going to stay super wide. But I think that's sort of, you know, we're sort of shifting the goalposts a bit as interest rate. And, and look, I, I think in every asset class, higher interest rates make investors more discerning, right? You take away that valuation lever that investors can pull for return. And it really comes down to fundamentals, as you talked about, um, we're seeing in the equity market right now. So, you know, I think as we kind of come into the next year or so, um, investors are going to really hone in on what are the fundamentals, uh, you know, not only of this sector, uh, not only certainly of, you know, uh, a, a certain city or metro area, but of specific properties, of, of specific sub-markets, right? Um, and obviously that's not something we can go all into here, uh, we don't have the time, sadly. <laughs> I know uh, you would like to, if, if I would yeah. allow you. <laughs> but, but, but maybe we'll do a long form episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'll yeah another time. I'll just read. Don't out my hang up, album. readers or listeners. <laughs> uh, but no, I I think you know sometimes people try to overcomplicate this, but I think you know when when the backdrop for interest rates and for and for the Fed is like is the way it is, investors start to look for the areas where fundamentals are the best, right? So you're looking at you're looking at industrial, you're looking at apartment, you're looking at areas of office and retail where the demographics are strong. And in terms of, you know, uh, uh, regionally, you're looking at places like the Sunbelt, places where, you know, the, the migration trends are strong, right? Places where wealthy people who can now work from home are migrating there and bringing their big salaries. So I think, you know, um, at its simplest level, uh, if cap rates are flat, again, like the lever you can pull for returns is income growth, right? So what about on a, like on a capital structure basis, if you are expecting po the possibility of less property price appreciation, do you move up the capital structure or do you, you know, real estate's a great inflation hedge. So you have that, there's kind of the, these, this battle, right? Yeah. I mean, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I like, I think look like over the past year, property prices are up 20%. Like that is, 
almost unheard of in the history of the market. That's 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 an incredible performance. And it's been look like this is a period where you've had rock bottom interest rates combined with incredibly strong acceleration in fundamentals. Like you cannot think of a better backdrop for real estate, right? Um, we're going into a different regime right now, right? And I think we have to acknowledge that while fundamentals are really strong, the risk return um, dynamic is changing, right? Between owning owning the property via equity or lending to the property, right? So as we kind of go along in this cycle, you have to consider, okay, what's the risk? Certainly, who takes the first loss on any property? It's the equity holder, right? And you're compensated for that generally with a higher return. As we go forward, an expected return on equities gets a little bit um, less certain. You know, if cap rates, again, like sort of go flat as we, you know, start to expect, um, the calculus changes. And I think debt as a, you know, it, it again, it has exposure to the inflation hedging nature of real estate, um, but you're higher in the capital structure um, and it's it's certainly more stable. So I think, you know, as, as we go forward, you know, later into a cycle, debt starts to look um, a lot more appealing um, in relation to owning. Um, but, but again, I think it's important to recognize that equity isn't certain, you know, real estate equity is not a homogenous asset class. There's real estate is, is incredibly um, heterogeneous. Um, it really depends on what you own and where you own it. Um, but I think the case for debt is certainly getting um, very strong. Yeah. All right. So, Andrew, we just focused on commercial real estate, um, but I mean, I, I can't have you on and not ask a housing market question <laughs> um, just because of, you know, how big of a topic of conversation it's been. Um, so I looked before we walked into this room and mortgage rates, 30-year mortgage rates were over 5%, like 5.1, 5 5.2%. Um, I think people are, anecdotally, um, you know, I think people are hearing maybe the market's slowing a bit or it's kind of, we're in that like last push right now of like people have their rates locked for 90 days or whatever. So they're just, you know, buying something while they can. What is your outlook on the housing market? Uh, That's a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. I I, I don't think I I, uh, prepped you for this one. So, yeah. So, so, I mean, like, this is actually, I'm just curious. No. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think, um, you know, everybody kind of has a take on the housing market right now. It's kind of been the, you know, perfect microcosm for the COVID economy where you have incredible demand. You have labor shortages in construction. You have shortages of supply of existing homes and of materials that are needed for new construction. So it's just been this sort of this wild west. I know, I think you purchased a home uh, over the past year or two, which I, you know, you you can speak firsthand how crazy the market (laughs) the market's been. And I was complaining about my rate then, and I look where I am now, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I I think that worked out for you. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Looking at a long run, a long range chart, I'll be pretty happy. (laughs) Absolutely. So, I mean, like it's as you pointed out, thirty year mortgage rates over five percent, and it's not just the level; it's the it's the how quickly it's gone to five percent. Insane. Yeah. So I think we're still sort of sorting out like what this means. Like if you look at just very simply what it means for, um, you know, the mortgage rate on the average house, the mortgage payment's gone up over 30% in the past year. Like that, that's the hit to affordability is real and you can't ignore it. Um, but on the other side of the coin, we're seeing really high rent inflation, right? Yep. So at least you're locking in a mortgage rate and you're not going to see a 10% you 
you know, 10% rent increases every year. And not that, that that's what I'm calling for, but, you know, I, I think that's been like a different mental calculus that we've had to do because, you know, maybe you were seeing 2% rent increases before, yeah. but now they're, you know, really massive rent increases. So that no, you, obviously a lot goes into a decision whether yeah. to buy or rent a home, but that's certainly something you have to think about no, now more than you did. You're exactly right. I, I, I think we're all kind of trained to give in relatively weak housing demand over the past uh, decade or two. Um, we're trained to sort of think about it as renting versus owning and what are the economics of apartments versus houses. And right now it's both. And the reason it's both is you have this secular um, boom in demand for shelter. You know, you think about the millennials who were delayed in their home buying following the global financial crisis because they came into the housing market, or excuse me, the labor market at exactly the wrong time. So they were delayed in buying their first house. They're now coming to the market and just driving this boom in demand for starter homes. On the, on, on the higher end of the housing market, you have the boomers who have all this wealth and are looking to buy second homes and sort of, you know, it, you know potentially downsize. Um, they're active in the market. Um, and then you have, you know, people moving out of their parents' houses after COVID, you know, looking for apartments in the city, um, and then, you know, you wrap in like the whole remote work thing and like people want more space. They want an extra bedroom, uh, as a home office. Right. So the demand for square footage has gone up. So all of these things come in and what it means is that like, it's not like housing or apartments. It's like both, like it, it's, it's being demand squeezed for, from yeah. everywhere. And you're yeah. seeing again, Zillow 17% year on year rent inflation, housing prices are up 20%, you know, even as mortgage rates are coming up. So um, the demand for shelter is really high. And I think, look, like when the Fed is raising rates, housing is the first place that people look as, you know, where is this going to slow the economy down? It's the most interest rate sensitive sector. Um, And there's reason to believe that it is, you know, mortgage applications are are falling. Existing home sales are starting to fall from incredible levels. Um, But like supply on the market, there's still no supply on the market. Um, you know, I, I think it will be interest rate sensitive to a certain extent. Um, but you know, as we go forward, I'm, I'm just not sure it's going to like, I'm not sure the market's going to roll over. There's just this massive demand out there and everybody wants a house and everyone wants more space. Right. Um, and then the other thing, just to kind of finish this off is the supply side where we underbuilt homes for 15 years. There just aren't enough homes out there and we can't just go put up homes now. You know, it, it, <laughs> our supply chains. <laughs> exactly. So I think, you know, the market's in a really interesting area and affordability, affordability has gotten pretty bad. Um, but again, what's your, what's your, um, alternative, like go rent an apartment and, and pray to God that, um, rents don't go up to 8% a year. I mean, that's the other option. Right. So. Oh, I want to do a whole episode on this. I'm yeah. all, I, I could keep going, but um, I will I will cut us off there. Um, Andrew, thank you so much. This was, I really enjoyed this. That was a fascinating conversation. Um, but yeah, I think we'll have to do, we're going to have to do a deep dive. Yeah. It's, it's a must. So we'll have you back on soon. The data is going to be very interesting for sure. <laughs> well, we're not going to do a data dump on a podcast, but <laughs> please, <laughs> we'll get you in to summarize it for us. Sounds good. Sounds good all right. Thanks so much, Andrew. All right. Thanks, Kara.